we're going to continue in our series that we've entitled In God We Trust. And over these last uh, couple months, we've been looking at what it means to trust God. And early on in this uh, series, we talked about that God is, as the Scripture tells us, completely and utterly trustworthy. He's faithful. We can depend on Him. And while we can put our hope in a lot of things in this world, whether it's our government or other people or jobs or, or money, those things falter and those things will fail us. But God never falters and He never fails us. And we've learned a couple different times in this series that God is the one we should be putting our complete trust and hope in. And last week we talked about a particular area that's very difficult for us to trust God in, that being our money. But even more than that, this morning, I want to talk about something that I think is even more subtle than the use of our money and the need for stewardship, and that is our time. Now, when we put this message together, or this series of messages together, and pick this Sunday for the subject matter of time and our stewardship of time, the preaching team had no idea it was going to be daylight savings time. So what a perfect time for us to talk about time when we've lost some time in our night of sleep last night. And so this morning, I want to tell you my message is probably one of the most practical and pastoral messages that I've shared with you in a long time. Uh, We're going to read a passage of Scripture, and then I'll allude to the passage of Scripture a couple different times in our message. Uh, But then what we're going to do is we're going to finish by looking at that passage kind of as an exclamation point. So I don't want you to wonder going, hey, usually we're in the Scriptures from start to finish. We won't be today as much. We're going to talk more uh, broadly about time and how God looks at time. But then we're going to come back to the passage, and and I just pray that it would just be a time where we can, of all ages, really the young and old alike, can ask the question, God, what would you have of me to do with the time you've given? So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, starting in verse 15. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, grab that pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you, and you can find our passage on page 500, I'm sorry, page 978, page 978. Here's what uh, the Apostle Paul says to the church at Ephesus. Look carefully, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and we know that you are the one we should trust. And this week we have trusted in other things. We've trusted in things that have been created. We've trusted in the people that are closest to us. We've trusted in our finances and possessions. We've trusted in our job and our ability to make money. We've trusted in a lot of things, Lord. And we're being reminded in this series that we need to trust you. And Lord, it's hard because you are invisible and at times you uh, can feel so distant from us and not because you're not there, but because we're far from you and the things of this world are close and they're seen and they can be touched and we gravitate towards those things and we put our hope in those things and we depend on those things. But Lord, you are teaching us in this series to put our hope and our trust in you. So Lord, as it comes to our time, something that we all have, I pray that we would do some work today to ask the question, Lord, what would you want me to do with the time you've given me? 
Lord, we want to make the best use of our time, as the Apostle Paul says. We recognize the days are evil. And we want to know what your will is. So teach us from your word this morning. Teach us through what we know of your um, uh, divine qualities that are seen in the comings and goings of our lives and what is seen in creation so we may do what is good and pleasing in your sight. We ask now for your blessing on your time, or our time in your word, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we celebrate an anniversary. An anniversary not of 10 or 12 years, but a 100-year anniversary is being celebrated today. We should have had balloons. We should have made it a bigger deal, but we didn't. But did you know today is the 100th anniversary of something incredible? I didn't think so. A hundred years ago, in 1918, today we celebrate the hundredth anniversary of the Calder Acts. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. You guys are pathetic. Um, in 1918, Woodrow Wilson signed the Calder Act into law, and you celebrated it without even knowing it. It would seem. You see, in 1918, Congress passed a law that was signed into order that uh, in March, on a Sunday at 2 a.m. in the morning, you by law are called to spring your clocks up an hour. See, you didn't know this. And that some of you didn't do it. You broke the law, and we have police waiting outside for you. But this Calder Act was done because uh, the government felt we were losing, or if you will, wasting sunshine, daylight. And they wanted to find a way to save some of that daylight uh, for us as a people. Now, they made a plan, and as government does, all of government's plans go off without a hitch, right? And in 1918, a hundred years ago, the daylight savings time was going to fall on, of all days, Easter Sunday. It was a disaster. Thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of churchgoers that first daylight savings time miss what was the high holiday of the Christian world, uh, Resurrection Sunday. That next day in newspapers all over the place, editorials were written that American society as they know it had fallen apart. And here's the reason why. People were late to church. And because people were late at church, if a people are late for church, society as we know it will fall apart. How times have changed, right? And all kinds of articles were written and all kinds of opinion pieces were given as to why this is such a terrible idea. Some of the reasons given, number one, an hour change would change almanacs altogether. We no longer could look at almanacs because they would be rendered useless because of this one hour time change. Number two, Americans would not be able to enjoy the freshest air that is found in the early morning because of the time change. And number three, grass would die because of an overexposure to the sun. Okay? Here's some of the reasons that were given. It was such a large public pushback that daylight savings only lasted one time. 
After 1918, they were like, you know what, this isn't working. So the government did the next best thing. They said, listen, as a county, as a municipality, you can choose whether or not you want to have daylight savings time. And if you thought it was bad enough that you had to change one clock, think of a country that now, different cities, that if you went to Aurora... You would have to change it because the time changed. In one stretch of highway between Steubenville, Ohio, and Moundsville, West Virginia, which is about a 35-mile journey, you would have gone through seven time changes on your journey. Who would have ever thought that time could be such a complicated thing? Who would have ever thought that time would be such an issue for us as people? Well, the government finally got it right in 1966 because of all kinds of broken appointments and all kinds of upheaval. They made the decision to pass the Uniform Time Act. And the Uniform Time Act in 1966 was brought together and it split all of the world into 24 time zones and the need for daylight savings time. Now, as I was doing research on this, I learned that there is a massive push, and they are almost to the finish line in Florida, to move from Eastern time zone to what is called the Nova Scotian time zone, which will make our turn or our travel to Florida a two-hour time change difference instead of one. And they are in the final things, hoping that that will be brought together in 2019. Just a little food for thought, okay? But why is time such a big issue? What is it about time that can get us all worked up? What is it about one loss of one hour that can create such upheaval? My wife, Amanda, hates this day. She hates it. She is undone by a loss of an hour, God bless her. What is it about time that can work us up into knots? Well, a couple of things I want to share with you. And again, I want to be really, really practical with you this morning and pastoral. The thing you need to know about time, number one, is time is comprehensive. It is comprehensive. Here's the thing. Whether you are young or old, whether you are rich or poor, whether you live in a first world country or a third world country, no matter what your experience is on any given day, time is always moving, right? We all are a part of it. Each of us experience 365 days out of a year, 12 months in a year, and 24 hours in a day. All of us experience uh, uh, the seasons of, of uh, time. Uh, we are bound by time. It is comprehensive. We cannot get around it. Number two, the problem is this time is subtle. Let's just quiet down for a moment. Can you hear the clicks of the hands of time moving? They're moving. We'll never get those times back. Unlike money, money you can save for the future. Money you can stop spending. We can never stop spending time. We cannot take a part of our time from today and pay it forward to a future time. It is here in this moment, and now it's gone. And it happens all the time, and therefore we don't even think about it. We don't think about the time that is wasted, the time that is spent on needless things, because seemingly we believe that unlike money, we've got an unlimited opportunity to gain more. You see, if you want more money, you can get more jobs, you can do more things to acquire more and more wealth. You cannot buy with all the riches in the world more time. It is, it is, it's an unbuyable commodity. 
And as a result of that, we need to recognize that time is central to not only who we are as human beings, but even more than that, time is integral to the Christian life. And the reason why is we're going to find out today that just like our money, God is the giver of our time. And we need to recognize that our time, therefore, must fall under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and it must be managed in a way that honors Him. It needs to be managed in a way that glorifies Him. It needs to be in a a manner that is done that addresses the certain things that we should be addressing with our lives with regards to time. So now knowing a little bit more about time and why we need to be careful and how we use it, let's address a couple different things. I want to do so under three headings this morning. And the first thing we need to understand is, is that time is a gift not to be taken for granted. Time is a gift that is not to be taken for granted. There's an, an adage about time and it goes like this. When it comes to time, some folks save time, others make time. Most waste time, several kill time, and few are usually on time. Sounds like village. Here's the thing, village, time is a taker. It never gives. It's always being taken away from us. We cannot stop the hands of time. Only a few times in the scriptures does the Bible say that God afforded an individual or a people more time. And what I mean by that is is not the issue of just patience, but the issue that what time was up, he gave a little more. We know of a king in the Bible who had had sinned against God, and because of it, God was going to discipline him, and he was going to take his life. And the, and the king got on his knees, and he pleaded with God, God, forgive me of my sins, God, don't allow this uh, to cause my demise. And God relented and gave the man 15 more years to live. But even more specifically, we know that Joshua and the Israelites were fighting an enemy of the Lord, and in their battle, time was not on their side. They were vanquishing the foe, but they needed more time on that day to conquer the enemy that was before them. And Joshua, the general, says, Lord, I need more time. And he pleads with the Lord, Lord, if you would just give us more time. And he asks for the Lord, in essence, to stop time. And that's exactly what God does. We're told in the end of the book of Joshua that the sun stood still for a season, for a a time, so that the Israelites could vanquish their foes. How many of us wish that we could stop the hands of time? A lot of us have had moments and places in our lives where we wish we could hit the pause button and just enjoy the blessing of God in that moment. But what do we know? we know that those pause buttons don't work, right? And that we can't stop it. The time is continually going by. Time is continually being used up. And so we need to recognize this morning that we can't take this incredible commodity that God has given to every one of us for granted. And one of the reasons why is that we are told that we only have a limited amount of time that has been gifted to us. The Bible is very clear that God knows the day of our uh, uh, conception in our mother's womb. 
He's the one who is fearfully and wonderfully making us. He's the one who is knitting us together in that time, that secretive, that mysterious time uh, that only God knows. He was there and present. He knows the first moments of our lives. And he has bookended that. But he is also bookended, the Bible says. It is appointed for man in the book of Hebrews. It is appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. God has set a date. God has appointed a time where our lives will come to an end. And so there's a bookend. And in between those two bookends is our life. And that is a certain amount of time that God has gifted us to live and to enjoy what we call life. Now, I've learned this truth at a young age. When I was 14, my older brother, who was 16, died in a car accident. And I came to recognize that tomorrow is not guaranteed. And many of us, as younger people, we think we're invincible. We think that, that time will always be on our side. But as I look out at some of the gray-haired individuals, I think you would all agree that time isn't on our side. That time moves a whole lot faster at times than we want it to. And so we've got we've to be careful. And so we need to recognize that, that at time is moving by quickly. Listen to some of these passages. Psalm 90 tells us our days are quickly passing and then we are gone. Moses said that in Psalm 90. Job said as an old man, we were born yesterday and our lives on earth are but a shadow. James says that our lives are like a mist that hangs around for a little while and then vanishes. Now, as young people, and I'm speaking to the young people as I am the old people, because this is something that addresses all of our lives, young people say, but wait a minute, time moves so slow. And I want to liken just a picture of life for a moment. I want us to go to an amusement park for a moment. And I want us to go on that ride, that epic ride that everybody's talking about. Well, because everybody's talking about that ride, and everybody wants to go on that ride, the wait for the ride is long. And for our teenagers in our midst, and our young people, you're like, man, life just seems to go at snail's pace. And you're right, at the beginning of your life, you're walking around in an endless maze of lines, right? We're never going to get there. When is life really going to take off for us? And then you get strapped into it somewhere around your, your teenage years. You really get into the ride and you get to start making some decisions for yourself and, and enjoy it. And, and what is it? It's a long and arduous journey to the top, right? You just keep climbing up. When is the fun going to get here? When are we going to enjoy it? And at a moment, at some point, maybe 18 or 19 or 20, wherever that moment may be, and it's different for different people, all of a sudden the floor drops out from underneath you, right? And, and life becomes a time of twists and turns and, and ups and downs, and, and sometimes it flips you over. Uh, that is being a parent, okay? And what happens is, is life is not now just kind of slugging along the way. Life is moving at an ex- just a huge rate of speed. And you can't catch your breath and things are passing by you. You're having a great time, but you don't know where you're going in the next seconds. And some of you are there this morning. You're in the middle of this wild ride and you're trying to catch your breath and you're trying to to catch up and enjoy it, but it's seemingly moving too fast. And, And yet before you know it, 
the ride's done. And it comes to a screeching halt, and it's time to get off the ride. And and some of you are in the last turn, if you will. You're in the last loop-de-loop before the ride comes to its final resting place. You see, young people, life moves a whole lot faster than you think. And now on the other side of 40, life is flying by. It's moving faster than I wanted to. I was talking with Kate Duff, uh, one of our pastor's wives here, and we were talking about as being parents of, of teenagers that we are running out of uh, summers and vacations with the entire family. And we're down to, in our family, we're down to maybe three or four more uh, family vacations before the family starts to uh, meander out into college and young adult life and all of that. Time moves quickly. And so we need to be careful that we don't take this issue of time for granted. Now one of the best ways that I've seen it communicated is not by a theologian or a pastor, but from a rock group. As we learned last week, sometimes musicians do a great job of communicating. The rock band Nickelback said that if life is such a gift, how are we to live it? And their response is, we are to live each day as if it's our last. Can I tell you that's biblical theology on time? Now, I don't know where they're at. I don't think they're followers of Jesus Christ. But they've got it right. And they say this, my best friend gave me the best advice. He said, each day's a gift and it's not a given right. So leave no stone unturned. Leave your fears behind. And try to take the path less traveled by. The first step you take is the longest stride. And he goes on and says, if today was your last day and tomorrow was too late, Could you say goodbye to yesterday? Would you live each moment like your last? Would you leave old pictures in the past? Would you donate every dime you have if today was your last day? And he goes on and he says, against the grain should be the way of life. What's worth the prize is always worth the fight. Every second counts because there's no second try. So live like you never live it twice. Don't take the free ride in your own life. And he goes on with the course. If today was your last day and tomorrow was too late, could you say goodbye to yesterday? Would you live each moment like your last? Would you leave old pictures in the past? Would you donate every dime you have? Would you call, call old friends you never see? Would you reminisce old memories? Would you forgive your enemies? Would you find that one you're dreaming of, swear up and down to God above, that you finally fall in love if today was your last day? You see, what they're trying to get across is is what I believe, maybe by mistake, a biblical theology of time. As Christians, if we only have a limited amount of time, and then Jesus tells us that no man knows what a day might bring, which means as Christians, we should be prepared to meet our maker on any given day. And we should doubly think that because we have no idea if the Lord might be coming today. So there's this level, uh, this idea and level of imminence of, of that today could be it. So if today is it, will God, when he comes to take me either through death or deliverance by his second coming, will he find faith in me? Will he find me doing faithful things or will he find me wasting the time, the gift that he has 
given. So, if time is a gift, what should we do with it? Number two, it should be given away. It needs to be given away. Time wasn't just for us. Just as our money isn't just for us, time is given to us so that we might be generous with others with our time. And there are four areas that we need to dedicate time to. Number one, we need to dedicate time to our God or our Lord. We need to give it to the Lord. Just as God calls us to give our first fruits of our gifts of our money to the Lord, the best of what we have, then God surely wants the best of the time that he's given. And it's an acknowledgement, God, you're the giver of all of it, so I'm going to give back a portion of it to show you my thanks, my appreciation, my gratitude for what you have done in my life. But sadly, so many of us, though we say with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, our time doesn't show that. And when it comes to spending time with God, we suffer from spiritual ADD. When it comes to hearing God's word preached, or reading God's word, or or praying, or dedicating ourselves to the idea of spending time with God and in fellowship with God, many of us will say, it's just too long, it's too arduous, it's too difficult. And, And I hear that, and I hear that as a pastor. You know, Tim, if you just make your sermon shorter, everything would be better. And and I feel for people when they say that, and I question and evaluate my own thing. But then I watch those individuals that I love and I call friends and all that. I watch them watch a football game for three hours with rapt attention. I I watch them in their hobbies. Uh, One guy years ago, early on, used to really hammer me that I preached too long and he just didn't have the, the focus or the attention to sit quietly for that amount of time. And then the guy drove me nuts because he told me for a whole weekend he sat in a boat fishing. Talk about sitting and being bored out of your mind, okay? Now, where did the ADD go? Because I know he's not flopping around in the boat. And yet we need to recognize that issue isn't our attention deficit disorder. It is that we put a priority on other things more than God. And what we say to God is, God, my time is too valuable to give to you. And remember, last week we learned about that with regards to our money. My money is too important. i got to keep it for myself than God giving it over to you. And so we need to give it to the Lord. And, and, and one thing that I have come to learn, and I did this years ago, and it's become a practice of my life, is to spend every morning as I get up, and I don't spend and listen, I'm not a morning person as it is, so especially this Sunday is a hard Sunday to preach, but... But I don't spend a lot of time here, but those that are wanting to begin your day right, start with this simple prayer that your pastor has come up with. Lord, I have no idea what today is going to bring, but this is true. My life is in your hands. And wherever you lead, wherever you go, I want to be there with you. And so I ask for two things. Number one, Lord, and you can write this down, Lord, show me opportunities that you have for me. I don't know what my day is going to bring. I don't know who I'm going to run into, Lord. I don't know what opportunities are going to be laid before me. But Lord, I want the opportunity and I want to be well positioned and well prepared to see your opportunities when they come. I don't want to miss them. 
talk about a gift. God gives us an opportunity and we're too busy or we're too ragged to see it. There are opportunities that are had and we miss them because we're flying at a rate of speed that we miss out on those. God, I want to see those. Number two, Lord, show me the obstacles that are coming my way. And prepare me for those obstacles so that I may honor you and not bellyache. So I may honor you and not sin. So I might see those obstacles not as someone trying to keep me from something, but God, you're trying to grow me into something. And so I say, Lord, I'm open-handed with my time. If you want to change my schedule, if you want to change the events of my day, that's fine. I just want to be a part of it. So show me the opportunities and show me the obstacles so that when they come, I might honor you in that. Giving God your time, though, is not simply just saying, Lord, I'll give you my time. It means conscious decisions when those opportunities and when those obstacles come your way, that you're doing what the Lord is calling you to do in those moments. We need to give the Lord the first priority of our time. Number two involves our loved ones. Our loved ones. If you're a married individual here today, your number one time priority with regards to earthly relationships is your spouse. It's your spouse. And moms and dads, we've made this decision that we have given up on, on, on conversation and dialogue with our spouses, and we've dedicated and made our children more important. But they're not. The Bible makes it clear that the foundation of the family is a loving husband and a loving wife who are honoring God together and who are loving each other as Christ has called the church, uh, as Christ has loved the church. And so there's order to that. And so for a relationship to be built, a relationship, a relationship to grow demands time. And so that means husbands, you've got to dedicate time and energy to your wife. And that means sometimes doing and, and being a part of things that maybe you don't think is altogether a good use of time. Women like to talk generally, way more than men do. And, and men, we have the, uh, the, um, Sometimes the feeling like we're wasting time talking. I do this to Amanda all the time. She wants to share details. I want to get to the nitty gritty of the story. Just give me the facts, dear. I don't need to know what the winds were doing that day, what the sun and the clouds were doing. I don't need to know what so-and-so was wearing. That is wrong on my part. I need to allow for time for my wife to relate to me and for me to be able to relate. And sometimes that means uh, women, uh, if you want your to relate with your husbands, it's probably not looking each other deeply into one another's eyes across a candlelit table. Uh, for men, it's shared experiences. It's doing things together. It's usually some sort of active uh, thing. And so we need to recognize and know that a time is going to be spent differently as we relate to one another. But listen, number one, our priority needs to be as husbands and wives spending time with one another. It is good. Listen, when I see on Facebook that some of you have gotten away for a, a weekend, your pastor rejoices because that is good and right. It is good for a husband and wife to, every once in a while, as time allows, as, as money allows, for you to get away. And you to get away and enjoy one another and spend time with one another so that your relationship can grow. Now, your spouse isn't your only loved one. Kids, 
are a part of that scenario too. And kids are, listen, third, if you will, in that thing. God, spouse, kids. And what we do as parents and as families, we've got to be so very careful with this, because what our society has said is, if you have your family involved in lots of activities, you're doing family time. And so we fill our calendars, families, we fill our calendars with all kinds of activities. And the badals are there with you. We constantly have to be looking at our calendar. And, and what I want you to be careful with is that that's okay. There's seasons of that. And you're going to be busier in some seasons than others. But real family time, listen, is not you commuting your kid or chauffeuring your kid from one practice or one activity to another. Uh, the real time isn't with the radio blasting or everybody doing their own thing in the car. And then when you get to the spot, you go to the bleachers or you go to the chairs in the hallway while said kid or children goes and does an activity. Because a lot of you say, man, we got a lot of family time and we dedicate a lot of time to the kids. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm not talking about is time that you may be in the same area code together. What God wants you to do is to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. As a kid growing up, my father, he was an immigrant from Iraq, and he never knew baseball, he never knew basketball, and I was a, just loved playing sports. And it always bothered me that my dad never spent time doing that with me. As a kid, I really, be very honest with you, started hating my dad for that. Because I had to learn from other coaches and other dads what it was to do. And my poor father, he was, he, he didn't know any of that stuff in the Middle East when he was growing up. And it really bothered me. But as I grew up, I started to see things that were way more important than teaching me some of those things, which are fun to do, which are important, but they were secondary because what my father did was build a foundation that was way more than teaching me how to throw a curveball. My dad showed me by demonstration and by declaration what it was to have a vibrant walk with his Lord. And my dad taught me that God came first. Now that didn't equate to goals on the soccer field or, or first chair in the musical acts. But what it taught me was, is as I grew up, how foundational that was. My father, and men, I'm speaking to you especially, my father would pick up the Bible when we were driving and he would hand me the Bible and say, hey, turn to this passage. What's this passage saying to you? What does this passage mean for us? And, and I'm no doubt one of the reasons why I'm here preaching and teaching this book to you was because from a young age, as Timothy in the Bible was taught, from infancy, how he learned of the Holy Scriptures that make him wise unto salvation. And my dad and my mom, they proved that and they proved that. And so one of the uses of our time needs to be, Christian parents, is to raise our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Who cares if your kid can throw a fastball 90 miles an hour? At the end of the day, that's not going to save his soul. Who cares that your daughter can sing with the greatest of sopranos uh, in the uh, world? That's not going to help her on the day of judgment. Those things aren't bad. Use your head to know that what I'm saying is that they're not bad. But what you want to hear is that God has called us to far more as parents. And invest time with our kids and other loved ones, friends and family. We need to dedicate an open time for us to engage. Let me speak to something else on the other side. So I've talked about kids on one side. Listen, I've got parents that are now eclipsing 70 years of age. 
they're getting older. And I've got to come to a realization that the father that I thought and the mom and dad that I thought would always be around are not going to be around for a lot longer. Let's face it. If they're lucky, if they're blessed, we've got maybe 15 more years. And I'm not trying to be um, crass about that. But I've got limited amounts of time. And they're not guaranteed anymore. As my father would say, it's really sad when you start attending your friend's funerals. And it starts getting sobering. And we don't need to be people that are so despondent over the passing of time. But we do, as the scripture says, we need to make the most of time. So I've got, let's say, 15, maybe 20 years left with my parents. What am I doing with it? How am I making sure that my kids are, are as uh, uh, the patriarchs did, drawing their children to the older generation so that the older generation can bless them? Grandparents, you have very little time left on this earth. What can you utilize that time to shape future generations? Again, I'm blessed. My mom and dad, almost every time my family gets together, my parents will gather the children around and they will bless them and love on them and call them to follow Jesus and call them to walk away from temptation and I sit there and go I don't want to miss those times because there's a time coming where they won't be there and we've got to utilize that time and we've got to be effective making the most of the time we've been given now the next one you guys are all going to grunt and moan about and that is labor God has called us to work and he's called us to work and he's given us this job and some will say well that's a part of the fall but work was given before in a time of perfection in the garden God gave Adam the job of working before sin ever entered the world and we've been given a job to work and we've been given this work this labor so that we might be able to provide for our families so that we might be a vital part of our community and so that we might find a level of fulfillment And I know some of us have great difficulty at times finding fulfillment in our labors. But God intended for those three things to be lived out with regards to our work. And so what God demands of his Christ followers is that he demands that we give our best with regards to work. And that we're prepared and ready to be the best employees or to be the best employers that God has called us to be. And that means that we have got to order our life and so that when we get to work tomorrow, we are bright-eyed and we are bushy-tailed and we are ready to do the best job we can. And here's the reason why. It's not for that jerk boss that you've got. Because the book of Colossians says that we don't just serve earthly masters, but we serve a God in heaven who is our heavenly master. And so even if nobody's looking, we know that God is watching and he is seeing and asking the question, are you faithful in your workplace? The greatest tool of outreach that we can have as adults is by being effective workers in our workplaces. Listen, nobody's going to listen to your gospel presentation if you're the guy who never gets the job done. If you're the guy that nobody can count on. If you're the guy or the lady that does unethical things to uh, accomplish a task instead of doing the hard work. We need to dedicate proper time to our labors. And finally, before you guys get rid of me, we have time for leisure. Amen? Amen.
And so we go right away to the Genesis story, and we're reminded that for six days God labored. He built and he created and he put together the cosmos and he laid it uh, its foundation and he hung it right where he wanted in the galaxies and, and formed all of that. And then he got into the more minute details of creating animals and plant life and, and then the chief creation of humanity itself. And then on the seventh day he rested. Now this is something that we have a theology for, but it's a warped theology because what we think is right away that God took a vacation on the seventh day. That God was like, man, I built this place called Orlando. I'm going to go visit it, okay? But God doesn't vacation. Well, maybe God just took a long nap. Well, the Bible says that God doesn't tire like a man. And so he has no need for naps. God doesn't find himself yawning. God doesn't grow tired from physical work. He is an omnipotent God. He has an everlasting and eternal amount of power to be able to do all that needs you. So why in the world would God take a day off? Why would God take time to rest if he didn't need it? Here's the reason why. God took time to reflect in glory in what the six days prior was all about. And he rejoiced in what he had created. He rejoiced in the relationships that it now created for him. So think about this. God had no relationship outside of the heavenly realms. But when he puts the earth on its axis, now he has a relationship with this earth that he's created. And it starts with... with um, the physical world that we live in, okay, the trees and the, and the rocks and the formations that we have, but it gets closer. Now he relates to animal life. He's created it and he rejoices in what's happening in the animal kingdom. But even more, he rejoices in the relationship that was created when he created you and I. And so what it enabled him to do for that day of rest was to take a step back and reflect on what he had done. And to marvel in it. And to glory in it. And so I want you to understand today, and I want to say this right from the top, napping isn't a bad thing. Amen, that's a good point, amen. Just don't do it now. It's sinful if you do it now, not sinful if you do it later. Vacations aren't a bad thing. We're coming to a time of spring break. The Bedalls will be heading out on vacation. So I don't want you to think that I'm saying that a vacation is bad. What I want to do is I want to take your leisure and I want to funnel it through the Scriptures. And so what is leisure? Why did God create rest? Well, I want you to know that your vacation, your day off, has a purpose. And its purpose is to make you really, really good at those top three things. Does that make sense? Your vacation and your day off should make you a better follower of your Lord. It should make you a better lover of your loved ones. It should make you a better laborer for your employers. Your rest should cause you to look back and say, Lord, thank you for what you've given me. Now I look forward to the days ahead because I've had a little time to stop. I've had a little time to be refreshed. I've had a little time where I haven't had to work today. So I've dedicated time to think about how can I be better at serving you, Lord? How can I be better at serving my loved ones and my friends and family? How can I do better at serving in this role of laboring you've called me to? Now here's the problem. When we vacation and we take days off, we need a vacation and a day off for our vacations and day offs. Amen? 
And we're not resting. And we wonder why we're not walking with the Lord. We wonder why we're not in fellowship with our family. We wonder why we go to work on Monday and we hate the world. And we need five gallons of Starbucks coffee to put a smile on our face. The reason why is we have neglected what it means to properly and spiritually rest. And we've got to be careful with this. So, when you go on vacation, enjoy it. But ask the question, Lord, in these three above areas, because God didn't create me just to be leisure Larry, okay? He created me for a purpose of the three top things, and he knows for me to be at my best, I'm going to need some time to take off. And you should. You should build time to be able to do that. How are you giving away your time? Point number three, we need to ask the question this morning, how do we figure out this time thing? Our time needs to be guided by God. We'll never get this time thing down unless it's guided by God. And God has guided us in a couple ways. In a moment, we're going to look to the scriptures and we're going to see how God has guided us in a particular way. But I want you to know God has been guiding us throughout human history and we see it throughout the scriptures and how the people of God in ancient days were guided by God. Some years ago, I had the opportunity, was invited to be a part of a group of 12 pastors from around the country. A group called Leadership Network had, had picked us out for uh, different things that we were doing in our churches and our ministry, and they had labeled us as next generation pastors. They invited us to uh, come and spend three years with them at different times, where us as 12 young pastors, all at that time under the age of 40, would be brought uh, into relationship with some of the biggest, most well-known pastors uh, in our country. And one of the pastors that was going to be a mentor pastor of mine during that time, his name was Bruce Miller. He's a pastor of a large mega church in the Dallas-Fort uh, Worth area. And he had just finished a book when we first got to know one another. And the book was called Your Life in Rhythm. And in my first interaction with him, I was broken up into a group of four to spend the day with him talking about this very subject matter. And his uh, teaching on this revolutionized not only my ministry, but my life. And one of the things, and I'll tell you, uh, he is a man of un uh, unbelievable character, a wonderful, faithful man. Buy this book. It's on Amazon. I don't recommend a lot of books, but this has got so much great truth to it. It's a book you should pick up and you should read. And it's not just for pastors. It's for all kinds of people. But I know that you don't have much time to go to Amazon and hit the button. Yes, I want it. So I'm going to help you out with what it is to whet your appetite with regards to it. And he said this, <clears throat> balance was never God's plan for you in life. Balance is something that uh, to gain balance, number one, is really, really hard in life. Number two, once you find balance, think of a seesaw. Once you find balance, you spend more time trying to keep in balance than you do anything else. And so he says, get rid of that thinking that balance is the end of the game. And so what we want to do is we want to order our life in this balancing act. And, and, and the world's going crazy around us. And we never find balance. And because of that, we feel like we have failed. And so he says, don't look for balance. He says, look for rhythm. What you want to do is you want to have rhythm. And, and he paints the picture of a dancer. And, and there are people that don't have rhythm. Your pastor included in that group. 
And it just looks awkward, right? Because you're zigging when you should be zagging, right? And it just looks out of place. What he says is you want to be in rhythm with the comings and goings of life. Because life's going to throw curveballs. Life's going to throw a downbeat on something. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to learn the rhythm, if you will, of the dance. And so he tells us this. He says in the Bible, the Bible uses two words for time. The first word is chronos, okay? And that's in your outlines, chronos. And it is where we get the phrase chronology. And we see that. So uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says there is a time for everything under the sun. And what he's saying there in the uh, Greek uh, Old Testament is there is a chronos for everything under the sun. Chronos is time as we know it. 24 hours in a day, 365 days in a year, you've got it. It's time that is there. What chronos to the Greeks was, and to the biblical writers, was the quantity of time. It was quantitative time. It was time as we see it in the Western world. We've got only so much time in a day. Okay? Kronos tells, tells me I am behind schedule right now. Okay? I gotta get done here really, really quick. So Kronos, how, how do you live through the, the, the rhythm of Kronos? Number one, you pace yourself. And this is huge. You pace yourself. You can only do so much in a day. Amen? But we don't think that. We think we can do way more. But I want to remind you that as we look at the life of Jesus, though he was God, he put on flesh and made his dwelling among us. So God is above time. He's outside of time. But when Jesus put on flesh, he confined himself to time. He ate, he drank, he lived life just like everybody else did. It wasn't like Jesus was some sort of robot that never slept and never had to do any of the things we did. He put on flesh. And one of the things that you need to recognize is, is that Jesus, when he put on flesh, had to pace himself in his life. He had 33 years to live on this earth. He had three years of public ministry. In that three years, Jesus never left a 50-mile circle. He never went to other places. Were there people there? You betcha. Could he have transported himself to other places being God? He could have. But he confined himself to one region, the region of Judea. Scripture tells us that when he entered into a city, people would come up into an uproar. Why? Because he had been come to know that he not only could he preach in a phenomenal message that would change lives, but he had the power to heal, the power to restore, the power to exercise demons, the power to fix the problems that ailed people. But you never see in all of Scripture, this revolutionized my ministry, you never see Jesus heal everybody in a community. And that means that when Jesus left a community, he healed some, he exercised some demons, he healed some of the lame people, he took care of some of the broken needs. But when he left, people would be crying out, don't leave Jesus, what about me? What about my need? Jesus would say when someone would ask about poverty, Jesus could have, by, by being divinity, could have addressed the poverty issue, and he says that you will always have your poor. 
I'm not going to come and fix every problem because I've consigned myself to humanity. Therefore, I'm teaching you as I'm walking what it means to pace yourself. The second person of the Trinity took time to eat. He took time to sleep. He took time to relate with people. He took time to serve people. And listen, he took time to get away from everybody and commune with his God. He paced himself. Number two, and I got to get moving because I'm out of time. Number two, build rituals. Bruce talks about in his, in his book, which I think is important, the Old Testament is full of rituals. The, the nation of Israel had rituals built into their life as followers of God. They had rituals of celebrations and feasts and times of remembrance. There were times of crying and there were times of celebrating. There were times of mourning and there were times of great cheering. There were times of remembering and there were times of looking forward. There was times for planting and times for reaping. And they built rituals into their life. And the reason why you build rituals is if you don't, then time will get away from you. And so we build rituals and we do it today. Listen, uh, rituals are built in our holiday celebrations. You have broken the 11th commandment if you are not at Easter dinner for with mom, right? You just, that's what you do. And if someone has tickets to a ball game or, or someone has a piano recital, all that, listen, our ritual is on Christmas Eve, man, we're together with the family. We've built this tradition, we've built this Ritual. But rituals are more than just holidays. A ritual that the Bedal family has, and it's not concrete for everybody, but we have said, listen, boys, as long as you're in our home, we're at church on Sunday. And there's a lot of opportunities. And my kids, and I'm just being real with you, my kids have gotten really, really mad at me because they want to go and spend the night at someone's house. And the last thing the group of kids want to do is have Josh or Luke or Noah but all get picked up at 7.30 so they can go to church. And so my kids will say, hey, I can stay late on Saturday, but I need to be at church on Sunday. Why? Because that's a ritual that's important to us as a family. I can't tell you how many times my kids have been handed at the end of a sports season a sheet of paper that says, join this travel league. And you watch them at all boys and they look at the information and right away you see their heads drop and they go, oh, they play on Sunday. Because it's a ritual in the Bedal home, we're going to be at church on Sunday. And that's going to trump everything else on that given day and what i'm saying to you is build those rituals that nothing trumps it and when things start to compete against it you get rid of it some of us need to build rituals where our cell phones get thrown away when we go on vacation that we're done we're gone it's time for us to be alone the work and and the church and everybody's gonna have to figure out how to live without you build rituals Number three, you need to oscillate between rest and work. You need to recognize that you can, you're not a machine. And you've got to take time to rest. And that's going to be different for every one of us. What it looks like, what it involves. God doesn't say this is the only way to rest, but what God says is you need to rest. We need to do it. That's Kronos. How do we get through time? 
Then there's keros. Keros is quality of time. The quality of time is an important thing. And what it means is just because we have time doesn't mean we're making the most use of it. So when it says in here, make the best use of your time, it's not chronos he's saying, it's keros, the quality of time. And in order to do that, we need to release expectations. Some of us are going to go away for spring break here in a week or two, and we're going to have built in all of the things that we want to accomplish on vacation, and we're going to run our family wide and, and far and left and right. Why? Because we've got to accomplish all this stuff. And we need to release expectations and say, Lord, we're just going to go, and we're going to take what comes our way. That's what enjoying quality of time is. It's not being so bent on a structure, but recognizing that relationships aren't built on a clock. I don't say to my kids, you got 10 minutes, let's relate to one another. Okay? I don't say that, okay, family time, we're going to spend a half an hour of family time. And then you can go do whatever you want. Relationships are built when we release expectations and we're allowed to just enjoy the moment. Number two, we need to not only release expectations, but we need to seize opportunities. Some of us have no opportunity for opportunities because we've built such a big schedule for ourselves in all of life. And so an opportunity comes and we can't do it because we've regimented all that we're going to do every moment of our day, every day of our week. There's no play in the schedule. God wants us to seize opportunities when they come. Number three, anticipate what's next. You need to anticipate what's next. Some of you think that you are living your best life now and you're not. You're not. It's a great time. But there are great times coming ahead of you. I, I loved my time with my boys as little boys, but I'm really loving my time now. Now, there's different issues, right? We're getting into the teenage years. And, and someone said, uh, as they were walking out the first service, I thought it was good. Little kids create little problems. Big kids create big problems. Another person walked out, a lot of parents with real struggles. They said, uh, little kids step on your toes. Big kids step on your hearts. I'm starting to experience that. And that's okay, because there's some fun to being a teenage parent, right? Say it with me, right? Believe it. Okay? There's some good to being an empty nester. There's some good uh, to being a, a grandma or a grandpa. There is good to all this, and we need to anticipate. God didn't say, hey, once you hit 30, it's all over. In fact, God says in some ways, the later years are the best years. Where you get to see the fruits of your labor. You get to enjoy things that as a young person you didn't. We need to anticipate what's next and look forward to it. And enjoy where we're at, but look forward with great admiration to what is going to come. Kronos and Keros. So let's land the plane and let's understand the scripture. So now in light of all that, Paul tells the Ephesian believers and us today to look carefully then how you walk. We need biblical steps to understand time. And when he says look carefully, it isn't a suggestion, it's a command. God demands that you soberly look at your time. What are you doing with it? Knowing one day you're going to be held accountable for it. So what do we need to do? Once we look at our time, we need to repent of wasted opportunities. 
We need to repent of wasted opportunities. And when we repent of wasted opportunities, we need to release our guilt. So let me give you some, some ways that we can repent. We spend, and I'm being practical and I'm being pastoral here, we spend altogether way too much time with our technology. And as your pastor who struggles with it myself, it's going to kill us as a society. Technology is going to kill us as a church. Unless we get our minds around of what God's good and pleasing will is with it. Last night I was out with a group of friends and Amanda and I were out with some friends and, and we were at a restaurant, a wonderful restaurant. And I look over to my left and a table of six, the oldest probably 80, the youngest eight, all on their phones the entire time. It's going to destroy how we do life if we don't get a handle on it. And some of us need to repent of, of our Facebook time, of our Instagram time, of our Clash of Clans time, of our Netflix time. Because listen, on the day of judgment, God isn't going to give a rip how much time you were on screen. What he's going to ask is, what were you doing for me? in serving and caring and ministering to one another. And so we've got to repent of that. And here's the thing. God says when we repent, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And what He gives us is a new day to do something different. Number three, we need to uh, remember that the days are evil. Listen, the reason why we have such a hard time dealing with time is because the world tells us time is ours. The world tells us we should spend it on ourselves. The world says that we are the masters of our time. But God announces from his throne in heaven, you do not have your own time. You are using my time. And we need to remember that what we see advertised in the world is a counterfeit to what God wants to give us. So we've got to trust that God's ways are good and right and man's ways inherently are evil and wrong. We need to remember that the days are evil. And next, we need to be able to redeem our time for Christ. Making the most of it. That was a marketplace phrase, making the most of it. Literally means getting the most bang for your buck. And so you need to start multitasking. And the multitasking that needs to be done is a spiritual multitasking. And, and what I've come to recognize is when I'm watching my kids in the ball field, that God has given me a unique opportunity to sit by Joe Unbeliever in the lawn chair next to me. And I've been given a great opportunity because of this great invention of baseball that it's going to put us next to one another for two hours. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make the most of hanging out with Joe and I'm going to tell him about the good news of Jesus Christ and I'm going to build a relationship with this guy so that I can share about what God's doing in my life while we enjoy a game of baseball, while we enjoy a dance recital, while we enjoy waiting for our kids at whatever activity God has given me that. God has given you eight hours a day to be salt and light in your workplace. Yes, you get to pay your bills with the money that's given. But surely as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can multitask and you can tell your co-workers about the good news of Jesus Christ. And I could go on and on. God wants us to make the most of our time. Finally, we need to recognize God's plan for our life. It is God's will that we use our time properly. It is God's will that we trust Him with our time. It is God's will that we live open-handed lives so that God can use us in any way He wants, at any moment He does. It is foolishness to think that you can figure out your time without God's help. 
God wants us to trust him. God is calling out to us, trust me with your time. And when we do, we will walk as wise individuals, not as foolish. And God will give us the keros, the quality of time, that each of us are longing for. Time filled with great opportunities to spend with him, with those closest to us. He'll even give us time to enjoy some rest along the way. Give your time to the Lord and stop wasting it on yourself.